to paint a brick quarterly slush pile. We take more time than other editorial boards, but we stand behind our methodology, so much so that we're going to share our process with you through this podcast. So welcome. Um, today we have fiction, and we have a huge crew. I, I, I'm loving it. Um, it's raining in Philly, and, and we made everybody start late, but um, I'm going to start in Philadelphia right now, and I'll start with myself because that's just who I am. Um, so I'm Kathleen Volk Miller, and I'm director of the publishing program here at Drexel and co-editor of PVQ. And uh, I'm an essayist and have worked recently in the Washington Post and in a collection from Oprah and various places. So Google about, you'll find me. Um, to my right is Denise. She comes to a lot of our fiction podcasts. Um, I'm Denise Guerin, and I've been with Painted Bride Quarterly for almost a year on the editing staff, um, and I'm a photographer by day and trying to put some words together by day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Tim Fitz, and I teach here at Drexel University, and I'm a novelist and short story writer. Uh, my novel, The Soju Club, just came out this week in South Korea as a Korean translation. Woohoo! And I have a short story collection coming out in the spring with Madhead Press. Woohoo! And to my right is Sarah. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Eichert. I am a third year English major at Drexel University, and I'm the current editorial assistant for PBQ. Double woohoo! <laughs> um, okay, we have three people um, coming remotely. And uh, in keeping with my always loving something new and different, uh, not only do we have seven people involved in today's conversation, but it's a first time for Maureen McVeigh. Hey, Maureen. Hi. Maureen is um, also known as my cork wife. <laughs> and that's only because we have lived together in Ireland for a couple summers teaching there. And um, that's how we got to know one another. And now I'm very glad that she's on the PBQ team. Thank you. Today feels a little bit like Cork outside. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, we are in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I teach English and creative writing at Westchester University, and I primarily write fiction, but I just started writing some creative nonfiction. And luckily, I know you, Kathleen, for advice when I need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if we should go all the way to Marion and Abu Dhabi or Jason in New York. Greetings from Abu Dhabi. It is uh, about 8.20 in the evening um, and it's pitch black outside and um, Abu Dhabi looks beautiful from a distance. Um, we're looking at uh, two days in advance of National Day here in Abu Dhabi where the entire city erupts in fireworks and silly string. Um, cars are encrusted with gold glitter and faces of the shake, and it's a, it's a wild, wild party. Um, I'm Marion Wren. I am co-editor of Paint Bright Quarterly, and I run the writing program here at NYU in Abu Dhabi. Awesome. And hi, I'm Jason. Um, I am in Brooklyn today, and I'm actually not at my yellow Parsons table. I am at my mother's antique secretary desk. So oh, it's kind of exciting. Nice. It, the key got lost in shipping, so it was locked closed. But um, I found a key. So now I can oh, that sounds like a poem. That sounds like a poem. Right? Well, it's, it's, it, that's the problem with it. It sounds too much like a poem. <laughs> like it's actually, like, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, it's a metaphor. You're locked out of your mother's desk. Um, yes. Yeah. When it was locked out, I was very sad that you found the key. I found the key. Um, yep. 
profound. Right. So, yeah. but, it, but it, it doesn't really need any work. Like, there's nothing for me to do to write the poem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I come to you from the New York staff. Awesome. Where did you put that desk? What room is it in? It is in the office slash library slash guest room. Where you got rid of my comfy bed. Where I got rid of your comfy bed. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was a really nice bed. All right. I'll just have to sit at the desk someday. Um, All right. So today we are discussing one short story by Alex Pickett. It's called Vultures. And it is on our uh, PBQ pages. If you would like to um, go and read it, we'll wait for you. Cracks me up. How come nobody else laughs? Yeah, we can't wait the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> I thought. I think that's just. They so can just press pause. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I know. Um, so you can go read it. Press pause. Um, or listen to us talk about it and then go read it because you'll probably want to read it after we talk about it, I think. Uh, so, so basically the premise of this is, uh, a man named Paul, uh, works for, um, Parks and Rec as kind of like a maintenance sort of person. And, um, he's on a mission today to go, um, plow in Denali. They're up in Alaska. And then um, a series of misadventures occur. Not a series. A, a, a misadventure occurs. Um, Marion, I know that you've said, and I think it's such a great idea to read a little bit of it. And I actually thought about a section that I would like to read. Oh, yeah. What are you thinking? Um, the top of my page two, starting with She Laughed. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, just a few graphs there. So, mm-hmm. so do you think that's enough to get rolling, the basic premise? All right. And um, so uh, I said our, our protagonist, Paul, is on his way to Denali, and he picks up a hitchhiker. All right, that's what you need to know before you even hear this. All right, now the story. She laughed, took off her cap. Paul wanted to look and see what her hair did with the cap off. But instead, he took his hands off the wheel of the truck, tipped the ash of his cigarette into his palm, and put the ashes into his pocket of his coveralls. They weren't supposed to smoke in the truck. The woman grabbed the wheel when Paul did this, but she didn't steer much. Paul didn't take notice. She moved as though this gesture was a normal thing between them. He drove past Paul's favorite spot on this route. Trees on both sides of the highway had been cut away, so there was about 50 yards of stumps in both directions for a half-mile stretch of road. He imagined sitting there in his truck with fires on each side of him, knowing he was safe. In the summer, Paul thought it looked like a bed of nails because the stumps were so thin. He told this to the hitchhiker. Bed of nails, the hitcher said. Can't see it. The hell knows, though, covered in snow. Covered in snow. Covered, sorry, covered like it is, looks more like gravestones. Good? Okay, so there we are. So that kind of sets you up to the uh, um, the point of view that we're in and some of the, uh, the flavor of, of the piece, I think. So what do we think? I really enjoyed the story. I, th- I think it's really well structured. Um, 
the humiliations that Paul suffers never seem gratuitous. Um, they seem like really organic to who he is. I love the relationship between him, particularly and um, the coworkers. Yeah. And kind of yeah. this desire <laughs> to get away with something, to be, right? I mean, there's, there's a sort of like, like this way that they have him set up where he can never win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's just trying to kind of make something happen that will give him a feeling of being special. And it's just really hard to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. I think this story um, is pretty remarkable in that when I first read it, when I first started to read it, I wasn't really impressed because Paul is absolutely mediocre. Um, <laughs> he's more than mediocre. Yeah, very. Yeah. yeah. But then by the end of the story, you you kind of you you sympathize with Paul, and I don't know, you 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 hope the best for him, and you know he's not going to have that. So I don't know. It leaves you wanting. Yeah. Paul is a sad sack sort of guy. Yeah. And um, I think you know Jason what the the backstory that we get I and mean, we hear about some about his wife doesn't seem good right and we get even more details with the um co-workers who gang up together to mock him quite frequently right and pull pranks and scare him with snakes and um yeah pathetic he probably would be in the dictionary under pathetic it's, it's right funny. i think he to me it's felt like yes yes absolutely he's pathetic but he's such he's such a mark and mm-hmm. kind of you see that happening with the co-workers and then how beautifully it mirrors the hitchhiker and her friend Tuffy I think his name was yeah um and how he just can't get past being a mark and you see that in his inner life as well and it, it kind of I loved the ending where he's He's literally trying to hold on to his balls. Wow. I really didn't think yeah. about that. It's He's a, literally third, holding on to his balls. The third reading is when it really got me. Wow. Right where yeah. That's all he's trying to do. And even him, I don't want to get to the end too quickly. So I'll, I'll mention it as we kind of go through the story, what I, what I thought at the end. Okay. What do you mean by Mark? Like Mark, okay. like somebody that is, um, available to take advantage of and he is very unaware of it and he almost tries you can see him trying so hard to be a part of it and it's it's i I, that's what i really liked about his inner dialogue we really could see the inner working of his mind and how this happens to him again and again yeah and you feel that what is going to happen whatever between this woman and her friend is is not something good. Nothing good is going to come of that. So, Denise, I want to jump in and say I, I really like the use of the word mark here, right? Because in some ways, part of the tension of the story is the way this this unfolds in this way that you're you are rooting for him. You hope he's going to be making smart choices. He winds up making really bad choices and then being really vulnerable to some, you know, not so nice people, some shady folks, right? And it's that that feeling of precarity and vulnerability that is kind of excruciating as the story unfolds, right? Um, and and you're, I found myself really sort of um, painfully aware of how vulnerable this guy is, even as he's making his own choices, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even as 
as he winds up in, in the predicament that he's in, clutching his balls, right, and trying to hold it together, um, he's been on the edge of, of violence the whole way. He's been on, on the edge of catastrophe, including the prank that he plays on his, his coworkers, right? They, um, they make him believe that it's gone much more drastically badly than it actually has, and that adds that sense of catastrophic suspense. And I thought this, I have to bring it up now because it kind of goes perfectly with what you said. You kind of, as he ends the story, that he's eventually going to tell them about what happened. And somehow Paul sees some sort of heroic quality in it. And you know, that's not how that's going to be perceived. It's just, oh, this is going to follow him forever if he, yeah. if he exposes himself. And that made me very sad for Paul. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. It's like there's a self-awareness and a lack of it right yeah. in there. You know, yeah. he knows he's not going to tell them immediately, but he does want to tell them one day because he's really psyched that he held on to those keys. And, right? yeah. and I do think it's heroic that he holds on to the keys. And I think that like in that, in that moment, he's also, it, it's about Paul discovering his own value system and grounding himself. And he's no longer beholden to their perspective because it doesn't matter what their perspective, like, like in this scene where he's doing this one thing at great personal cost, um, he's doing it because he's, he's embracing his own value system. And it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I love the way that he sort of emerges. This, and yes, like we totally know that this is, there's no way out of the humiliation, but there's also no way out of his having made a choice that he's stuck through. Mm. Yeah. Maureen and Tim, you haven't breathed a word. Well, I'm really interested in this because um, I feel very mixed on this. I, I, I really enjoyed reading parts of it. And then I got to the end and I felt like, I wasn't completely sold on it. And usually I can articulate very clearly why I enjoy something or why I don't. And I can't for this one. So I was really interested in hearing what everyone else had to say. Mm -hmm. So I could maybe say, oh yeah, I agree with that. Or, oh no, I don't agree with that. Um, so I am really on the fence. I, I love the setting of this piece and mm -hmm. how the writer handles it. And um, the characters are very natural. And um, I hate using the word realistic when talking about fiction. It seems like something that people just use as a go-to. But I just felt like, yeah, these characters, I could know them. They make sense. There was nothing that took me out of the story. Um, right. So, I, that, yeah, so I feel very mixed about it. <laughs> I sort of feel the same way. Um, where there's so many things I like about it on the way to the end. Um, this a couple of notes that I don't that I thought were a little obvious like the guy's name Tuffy kind of bothered me a little bit it didn't bother it wasn't a deal breaker for me um, excuse me one second even though it's spelled T-U-F-F-Y <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I think that helps for me and having him hold his balls just seemed like such a and having the it seemed like an ending that was there's like a five or six ways it could have ended and it ended one of those five or six ways. And I, I, I didn't feel like, oh. I, did just, I just wasn't moved by 
the ending where the this, the truck getting smashed and then he holds on to the keys. Um, it just, I, I guess I just I wasn't moved by it. I wasn't surprised in a way where I was, where I liked other things. I, I some details I really liked was how he has this affection for, for plowing the parking lot in Denali. Those are the types of things yeah. that women yeah. are going in at yeah. those types. So I feel, so for instance, I feel throughout the whole story, this constant yearning to get to that parking lot. Mm-hmm. I feel that all the way through. Safe, like yeah. uncomplicated. Yeah, but but the order in which he yeah. plows, he yeah. has a whole I little system. That, yeah. It's one thing he can control. Yeah. Right. But I didn't feel the constant irritation of his hemorrhoid. I knew he. <laughs> I knew he had prep age, but prep age for me is not a very easy. Like preparation age is easier on your mouth than actually prep age. So when you see prep age, prep age, it's like kind of it's kind of a speed bump for me. That was bothering you? Yeah. There may be people on editorial staff that loved the prep age. Well, well, that, that there might, may be. There might be. There might okay. Be. What I, I have to interview. But, what I love is that phrase that you just used, that prep age is easier on your mouth. <laughs> like, no, preparation or, age is easier I'm on sorry, your mouth. That's prep right. age Prepar- is on your mouth. Preparation age. So it's funny to be thinking about this, like talk, like discussing the story as if it's right. like an oral text rather than a, a written text. Because Tim, I have to say the toughy bit it, it, the name made me laugh and giggle in the way that Pussy from The Sopranos makes me sort of giggle, right? I totally didn't get that tough, toughy as in tough guy would be how that sounds until you said it out loud. Uh-huh. So, thank you. Maybe that's thank what you. I meant about the spelling. The spelling. Yeah, exactly. Of toughy, you know. That's G- exactly right. That's right. exactly right. But it's also like, I mean, it's, it's so aspir. I mean, these are terrible cons, right? I mean, these guys yeah. who are trying to con him... Yeah. out of this and they're doing a terrible job <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're like the worst con people ever and like i just i mean i think i mean not the worst ever but i think that um tuffy is precisely the sort of like aspirational right. name that you expect from these not terribly successful scammers so, yeah right, right right yeah and they're also alike with the co-workers right like everybody is just doing what they can to break out of the monotony of their lives at times, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let's put a rubber snake in Paul's desk drawer. Well, you know, at, I can see them too. At the beginning of George Orwell's coming up for air, he gets out of the tub and he, the, his day starts and he realizes he's not sure if we washed all the soap off of his neck. So you get this for, for 10 or 15 pages, you get this constant reminder of this itchy feeling that makes you itch and makes you, so you have a very clear image of this, discomfort. Now, Pickett's going towards this even better possible image, which is it, it, the hemorrhoid is not just how uncomfortable the hemorrhoid is. It's a specific type of embarrassing image that you have to suffer with. So I know he has it, but I don't, I don't have, I need, it's, it seems like Pickett doesn't want to fully describe how the hemorrhoid feels and that needs to be in there to have this constant pain the whole way through there. If he's going to keep referencing the prep age, but you yes. want to know more and about the hemorrhoid. Is he mentioning so much. Is it like I'm how just long clarifying. Does, it, 
does it last like 10, you got, is, is it like a prep age junkie? Does he got to go in the bathroom for 15 minutes? Well, he's, all, well, he's nervous as hell. Yeah, that, yeah. And putting that prep age on is almost like a nervous tick. That's what I thought, because he had to go and do it after he got the phone call. Like it was more a psychological pain than maybe a pain that yeah. he was actually distracted <laughs> by. And he, he, had he, to go, he got the phone call in the bathroom and put, put it on. And he telegraphs that, that, ball clutch like a rookie quarter mm-hmm. he's looking at the, the receiver way downfield the whole story he's looking at that whole scene in the bathroom i could see that coming from a mile away by page you know six or seven you think yeah at the end he's going to be in the bathroom holding his balls and a girl's going to walk in i just felt like really yeah i totally well, I, was, I wasn't much more prescient than me but i did I not get like, i felt like some i mean there's so much i like about the story and i feel like if, if let's say if this story has 20 drafts, I feel like it's probably on like 17. And the, next <laughs> gonna be the money draft. I feel like well, <laughs> so I'm sort of, I, I do like the story and I like the voice and I like a lot of the images. I just feel like that, like mm-hmm. maybe if we cook it just like 10 minutes longer, something else is going to happen. That's yeah. Good. You're very patient. that way. I do agree that you don't, that you're told that he has the hemorrhoid, that it, you don't feel it in the way that you feel his desire to plow, plow Denali or the kind of you feel the way that he's being um, beaten down by the coworkers. And it's embarrassing pain too. So it's got to really, that's got to be the one that really sort of has, has him gripped. Right? Yeah, it, you're right. Because I, I want to feel that he's going to run from that phone call because he's completely hurting and distracted and, and, and ashamed. And I bet three sentences yeah. fixes it. Yeah. I bet a couple sentences. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like when you go to the doctor's office, they're like, how does it hurt? Give me the shape. Give me this, like, give me, give me the, you know, they say, oh, like, tell me the shape of it. Tell me the severity. Tell me the color. And you're like, I don't know. And you finally, you're like, oh yeah, this is what it's like. And then they tell you what the, what it is. You know, they're like, oh, you got a, like a stub toe you know, or whatever. And, but this is embarrassing pain. That's the great thing about this image is we get to see him suffer <laughs> this humiliate, you know, this uh, humiliation, which is what, because that's the humiliation that nobody knows about. I mean, he has to suffer layer upon layer upon layer. Yeah, of humiliation. but he told his coworkers about the prep age. And the wife, who doesn't seem very nice in any other way, makes sure she gets him new tubes, right? And he's even ashamed in his own private bathroom at home when she leaves it on the counter. But it's her way of showing him she bought him more. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say something that's that's very KVM to say. But uh, I feel like at the end, even though I agree with you, Sarah, that this man is a sad sack and he's never going to be quite the hero there's i have a little bit of optimism at the end there not not that his life is going to change but there's something about the fact that um the co-worker called and left that voicemail with real concern in his voice about whether he was okay i think that makes paul feel good you know and those last lines um Maybe a few years from now, I'll tell them all about all this, even the prep age. Tell them how she grabbed my balls like that, how I held on to the keys, how the truck was fine, just broken up a little, and how I went up and plowed and came back and everything was all right. 
I guess that's what I'm left with, right? There's another line, but everything was all right. I I feel like that ending kind of means nothing really happened, though. I think that was part of my problem with the ending. It's like um, earlier it says, this will pass and I'll go up and plow. Um, It's like, you know, they aren't going to come back. All these lines of like, why did I just read the last 16 pages if there's nothing really different now at the end? Like, I don't know. I felt like all that buildup and really it's like, meh. Well, you know what? <laughs> I think what happened was huge. And but he's and, saying and that it's not. Because he's desperate to get back to his mundanity. Is that the word? Mundanity? Mundanity. mundanity. Okay. He, you know, he, that same life that he, why did he even pick her up in the first place? Because his life is what his life is, right? So he takes that risk, picks her up, makes the decision to take her off route makes mm. a decision to go in and drink beers, right? He's, he's trying to make something happen in his life. But what does happen sucks. It's horrible. It's a, like, I don't know. I guess I didn't get right back. Get that. Yeah. I can see what I see that, but I, I don't know. It was almost like, like it says it was cold out in Paul Lake company. Like he just kind of picked her up because it's Alaska and it's snowing and she's a hitchhiker. I, I, I don't know. Well, he picked her up because he wanted to sleep with her. <laughs> I have a, I have and again, a because he was bored with his life. Okay. Yeah. I don't think so, because he didn't know she was a woman when he first decided to pick her up. I mean, that might be why he yeah. kept going with her, but it was more just like, um, why not, sort of. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get that he's desperate, like you said. I don't, it's sort of like with the prep age thing. I don't feel the desperation of that. I. I can read that, but I don't feel it necessarily. No, I, I don't. I don't think picking up the hitchhiker is a desperate act. I think that that fell into his lap. He didn't go looking for it. This man, you know what I mean, went off route on his own. That would be different. He wouldn't have if she wasn't just happened to be by the side of the road. His life happens to him. You know what I mean? So this happened. I have a question. Yeah. So if he goes off route and the truck gets smashed up, is he going to have to pay for the damages? He said he's going to lie. He's going to lie, okay. Yeah. Not going to be stuck, like, having to be, like... He's not going to say it happened in that bar The only thing he has to explain is is the smashed window. Believe him? Well, he's going to say it happened at a different rest stop, like, on the route, right? Yeah, so he's got to come. On the route route, right? I feel like either this is the moment at the end where he has kind of released from paying his dues the humiliation or it's the moment where he realizes this is going to continue for the rest of his life yeah maybe it's up to the reader to figure out can, can i can i read a passage from page six of yeah course. i'd love it okay so um this is where he's trying to decide if he's going to take the um turn or not to kind of play hooky or to go forward um mm-hmm. so it starts at the bottom of page five the turn was in five miles as he drove he wondered why he wasn't taking her up there Did he think he'd get caught, or was it because he just wasn't supposed to? He knew other people did worse things. He talked to people in other districts who bragged about smoking pot in the truck, or taking the truck down to strip clubs in Anchorage. The more he thought about it, the more taking her up there didn't seem like such a bad idea. The chair prank made him want to avoid getting done plowing in time to return to the office, and he thought how even though she's trying to trick him into taking her, she still was in a bad spot and needed his help, and sure, This, that is, picking up a woman hitchhiking was a top five sexual fantasy for him, 
since he picked up so many hitchers and so felt achieving it was a real possibility, even if he didn't plan on ever cheating on his wife. Not that he was attracted to this woman with her frozen cheeks and crooked nose, but she was a woman. Sex aside, though, it wasn't right to leave her in the cold, and he probably wouldn't get in any trouble anyway. And even if nothing happens, he can at least think about what might have happened the next time he has sex with his wife. Without saying anything, only sighing and shifting uncomfortably in his seat, Paul decided to take her where she wanted to go. Like, I love that mm-hmm. inner monologue. And I think it does such a nice job of kind of showing how the fantasy is there as a fantasy. Like, he's not doing it because he wants to fulfill it. He's doing it because it's compelling. And then all of his sort of nicer instincts, you know, like, yeah, she is in a hard spot. Like, she does need to get there. Like, I mean, I I thought that was a really fascinating um, sort of inner window. Yes, I think it shows exactly what in him, too, is is the mark. His ability to kind of bend and, and, and sort of forgive and, and, allow his kindness or naivete show through along with his fantasy, along with wanting something to happen. Right. Uh, and I like that she's a random hitcher. He's not, tr- you know, trolling the bars looking for somebody to cheat on his wife with. If she wasn't there, he wouldn't have been looking for her. Do you know what I mean? He just picked her up because there's, because she just was in his life. Which makes her a really, you know, kind of scary figure. Right. So here's this half frozen woman in his truck and flashing forward to the to the end of the story. Her her transformation is pretty um, astounding. Right. The sort of violence with which she grabs him and the description of, of her face contorting. Right. Is like I think that taps into a real sense of taboo around picking up hitchhikers. Right. Um. Uh, and I, I wondered what the other readers of the story felt about that. Like when you sit down to read a story of hitchhikers, what are your expect? What are your your expectations of it? Did this meet those expectations? Complicate them in any way? What What are you What are you all thinking about hitchhikers? <laughs> uh, she was enough tension for me, you know. Uh, she you know she was a device, right? Mm. Something has to happen. We're just in Paul's head, driving to Denali. It's it's kind of, you know, what is that, right? There's nothing really, like, we're waiting for. She gets in, she gets in. The hitchhiker is always the dramatic tension, right? Mm-hmm. That's always the risk. Will the hitchhiker be a murderer or have, a, you know, a word of wisdom or whatever, right? Yeah, so I, I guess I, that's, I think that's the, the one thing I am asking, like, does this story cover that familiar ground in a way that's fresh and sustains us, right? Or is it, is it too familiar? I think she, I mean, she provided tension, but right when she got in the car, like right when he decided, I'm going to pick up this hitchhiker, um, maybe it's, again, my perception of hitchhikers, but I knew that they were going to be an antagonist of some sort. Like they, there was n- nothing good could happen if you pick right. up a hitchhiker. <laughs> I think that's kind of what Tim was saying, where you you could see the ending mm-hmm. on page like two. Like you, you knew that, wow. you know. See, I thought she was going to walk in the bathroom and ask him if she could perform a sexual mm-hmm. act with him for money. That's, mm-hmm. that's all no, I thought. I, I thought she was just going to, like, you know, try to get some dollars from him for a service. Yeah. Um, she was a great character. Yeah, she, she was great. Um, but I, I, 
No, I, I saw her as once she started talking to Tuffy, I was like, yeah, she's, yeah, she's tough yeah. herself. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say what what does keep it fresh is that it's in Alaska and not in continental U.S. because it's right. on the outer layer. <laughs> so, for instance, when I lived in Korea, I used to hitchhike all the time, and everything was safe because they didn't have the same Ted Bundy thing going on. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it may have been unwise for them to pick me up, but it wasn't unwise for me to hitchhike. <laughs> they don't know they're picking up a stranger from a different culture. But in Alaska, I feel like if you're this, if you're a um, um, when I do hitchhike now in Korea, though, I usually try to pick up. I usually try to flag down like workers and stuff because it seems like it just seems like a safer type of hitchhiking. I don't think that much, but um, in in Alaska, if you were a plowman, I feel like you probably would pick up one every once in a while. I mean, it's so small. The chances of someone being a complete stranger is pretty pretty slim. She was. Yeah, so I, I think that's what keeps it fresh is like you could, mm -hmm. you would probably pick somebody up and then she gets in the car, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. I still feel like it's something bad's going to happen. But, you know, the writer could easily avoid this by having her picking up a stranger in a slightly different setting. You know, if, if she, he stops to get coffee or if he, you know, he stops to use the bathroom and someone's in the lobby, you know, and someone says, hey, you're going that way, then it wouldn't. They're not thumbing down. It's a slightly different context. I think it's important that he's complicit, that like his decisions yeah. lead to the happening. Yeah. I had a question about um, motivation with her. Like, and I don't know how to handle this based on the point of view, um, but so she gets picked up and then she gets him to take her somewhere and she makes the call and Tuffy shows up. And I'm just wondering, like, was the whole thing a setup? Like, was she looking for a mark and she found him? Or was she legitimately trying to hitchhike and realize he was a mark and so calls Tuffy and says, you know, let's do this. Or like, I wasn't really sure how that came about. And it, it really had me wondering. And as I said, I don't know from point of view how you handle it, but it kind of distracted me too. Like, you know, is, is this what she does? She hangs around looking for people who will pick her up and then she can take advantage of them because that seems like really poor planning. <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah. Wait, wait, who said that they were low level? Marion, was it you? It was talking about them just being like low level, not very good gangsters. That was me. They're, well, they're just they're was, terrible. Yeah. yeah. I, terrible what I read on it is that once she was just hitchhiking and then she saw him as a mark because also oh. there's something about needing his truck. You know, if Tuffy showed up at that bar, he has to have a vehicle of some sort as well. Right. He, she did some calculations while they're driving in the car, like, this guy's a putz, and we could have this big truck for something. I don't know what that is. I, I don't think it was premeditated on the on her part. I do feel like anyone who meets this guy, after about an hour, you're going to try to figure out a way to scam him. But I, I, I want to jump in and say that I think I take this point though, and I think what the what I like about the story is the way her actions and the phone call to Tuffy suggest a whole other universe of um, like decisions, obligations, and, and this like social social world of, of criminality. Like I don't know what Wendy's deal is, but I do feel like it is not far off from like a, a system of petty crime that she's regularly involved in, right? So, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what he's sort of like stumbled into. Like she is that, you know, she is a trickster. She is, you know, the, 
the, the hitchhiker, right? It's a promise of one thing and becomes this other horrible thing. And that's the arc of the story. But there is a way in which her relationship with Tuffy and her physical interaction with Paul suggests like such a complicated criminal life in Alaska that is fascinating to me. That's, that's you know, I, I guess the, the part I wanted to champion about this story. Do you think that, uh, or I have a question about the title and, and what you think about the title and the line, you know, she, Wendy kind of goes, I think re reveals her character pretty clearly when she tells the vulture story. Yeah. And you know a little bit more about Paul and then the line where it says, ever since the vulture conversation, Paul was okay with her. Um, I thought, what did you think about that? I think the entire premise of the vulture conversation, um, I think it, it shows this theme that the author is trying to show that people don't change at all. Like she's still a vulture after everything happens, Paul is still a sad sack and people are who they are and they don't change at all. I like the title. I felt like what it kind of goes right back to what Marion had said about Alaska and, and how they have to operate there kind of being so, so spread apart and very slim pickings of mm -hmm. people to take advantage of or um, sort of that other world that she was talking about. It, it, made, me, it made me think of nice visual imagery of, of what that could look like. Mm -hmm. Guys, we've talked a long time about this one story. I don't feel like we're talked out, but I feel like our time is ticking. Um, should we keep talking? Um, hmm. I'm ready to vote. There's seven <laughs> editors today. Are, are people still on the fence? I mean, if you're on the fence, so, then Ryan, like, are, you, you wanna... are you on a, a device where they can message you, right? You can, so yeah. today's sound engineer is Ryan. Um, Joe had other places to be, but we're, uh, the remote people are, are going. I know, Maureen, this is your first time. You're just going to uh, text yes or no in that message box. Okay. Okay. Um, does everybody vote that we're ready to vote? I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you should see the cringy faces going on in here. People want to keep talking. Can I just say for somebody who's on the fence, I think that having this much to talk about it is a vote in its favor. I don't know how everybody else feels about that, but, you know, it's generating a lot of conversation. Marion, we did it again. I know, it's perfect timing that Abu Dhabi <laughs> Cuckoo Clock. That always kind of helps us too. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's do it. Let's uh, one, two, three, vote. So you just, just tell us what you're. Oh, 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 oh. Wait, don't vote. When you're. <laughs> you go to stick a knife in to see if any of the. If Steve is dry in the middle, how amazing that cake's going to be if you be patient enough and how much it's going to suck if you take it out five minutes too soon. But it's worse if you let it burn. That's the problem. <laughs> I stick my bare hand. So, yeah. <laughs> I use it. Who's against soft center chocolate cakes? Well, I use like a like a steak knife. <laughs> does that make? Wait, does that make PBQ like the equivalent of an easy bake oven or something? Like, is the magazine somehow going to be cooking this sucker for? 
For well, that's the question of where an easy bake right? oven was this yeah. put in an easy bake oven or <laughs> did it have uh, a toothpick inserted? I use a toothpick. It's much more delicate of a hole. <laughs> Good God. Put a toothpick in it. Who eats carbs anymore? <laughs> okay. We're going to try it again. Here we go. Are we ready? We're voting. One, two, three. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what is it? I think Denise uh, threw a, a shoulder muscle out. <laughs> Her, she was having so many contortions voting. It's happening. Oh my oh. goodness. What? What? It, it's in by a really narrow margin. It's okay. four, but it's in. But it's wow. in. It's in. I never reveal the vote, podcast listeners, loyal listeners, you know, that I usually don't, but um, that's fascinating because of the way we've been talking about it, right? So, um, so yeah, there we are. All right. Congratulations, Alex Pickett. Um, you know what? Let's make an editorial decision on the episode. Marion, mm -hmm. Jason, Klingon, my Klingon counsel. Okay. What if we tell Alex, listen to our conversation, and and then see what Alex does? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, we know that we st the story's in, even if Alex chooses to not right. Right? But maybe Alex will listen to the conversation and have a thought or two. And I think we should name this episode Prep H. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should call it no. Preparation H is easier on the mouth. <laughs> yes. 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 That's, That's the line. That's it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, listen, again, um, the story is available on our podcast pages and um, stay tuned. We'll let you know if Alex should make revisions and a different version will be up on our formal official pages. Um, meanwhile, read this story and let us know what you think on the um, Facebook page that uh, corresponds with this event. Um, Please sign up for our email list, even if you're not in the area. Send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, and we'll send you a, a podcast sticker, Smush Pile sticker. Um, tell your friends and neighbors, and uh, keep reading.